Hello, this is David Stone, and I'm joined today by Susan Weber for another In the Know podcast. Um, super excited to chat with you all today. We, I, I, I would say, Susan, we, we're kind of going to be all over the place today, a bunch of different topics that we want to <laughs> cover. Um, welcome, Susan. Great to have you back. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes, we do tend to cover a, a wide uh, array of topics when we have these conversations, as I think conversations between us typically go. So happy <laughs> to be here and can't wait to dive in. Awesome. So I, I think in, in sticking to true form here, we'll we'll kind of start with our traditional updates on the quarterly banking profile that the FDIC just released and then um, recently issued accounting pronouncements. We'll give a real brief update on on those as well. Um, starting with the banking profile, so we're recovering quarter two 2023 data. Um, and in this quarter, we saw that less than half, so 42.5% of all community banks reported higher net income compared to first quarter 2023. So for less than half, another, you know, great quarter. And, and even for those that, that didn't quite um, you know, hit the mark, you know, I, I think overall, another good quarter for the banking industry. Um, all things considered, I guess I should say. <laughs> another thing that I'll point out, you know, I, I say all things considered, you know, because net interest margins continued to drop. Uh, they dropped 10 basis points in the second quarter. So still feeling that pressure um, just from all the, the interest rate uh, commotion that's going on throughout mm -hmm. the industry. Then lastly, I'll mention deposit balances, another hot topic that, you know, banks have certainly been looking at very closely. Um, and here, more than half of all community banks, so 60 percent, reported a decrease in deposit balances from the prior quarter. And, um, you know, we, we have a, a great summary where, where I'm pulling these stats from uh, available on the website. Definitely check it out. We have a, an interesting graph in there, deposits as a percent of total assets. And we look at this data from 2008 through today. And it's a real interesting trend where you see that spike in deposits during the pandemic and then, you know, a, a pretty quick descent, um, you know, uh, recently. So for those of you that uh, like roller coaster rides, you know, you'll, you'll love this graph. It's been, oh. it's been it's certainly been a roller coaster. I'm not sure I would equate a, a, a sort of a, a, an amusement park, a roller coaster ride with what we'd want to see in terms <laughs> of, of these kinds of banking things. But it definitely makes it quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting uh, time, you know, to be in banking. Sure. I, I feel we've said often before, there's never a dull moment in banking and certainly um, great lessons to be learned in managing these cycles. Mm. Yeah. And one, one other thing I'll, I'll mention, Susan, on the deposit front student loan repayments mm -hmm. are kicking back in. And, you know, I, I saw a stat recently um, that these payments are expected to be about 18 billion monthly. Monthly payments are expected to be about 18 billion. That's a that big chunk even, of change. That doesn't even feel like a real number. No, I, you know, I, I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. When, I can't you know, even get I my mind around it. It's like, is that, is that right? I had to do a double take. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a real number, but but it is. And, uh, you know, I think the concern is that this is just going to further exacerbate that deposit runoff throughout the banking industry, uh, because likely those repayments are going to be coming from from deposit balances, from saving, checking accounts. 
Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how that impacts balance sheets and asset liability management, um, as well as lending too, I I would say, you know, as you know, what will the impact be on consumer spending in general Mm -hmm. now that these payments are kicking back in? Yeah. And, you know, of course that'll, that'll eke out over time. So, um, you know, hopefully it, uh, it won't all hit all at once, but, you know, still understanding that, you know, that can be a heavy weight to carry um, once they all start kicking back in, in terms of the requirement. Um, so what about uh, the new accounting pronouncements? Anything that you're tracking and trending there? Sure, sure. Um, short, short answer, no. Oh. <laughs> you know, and, well, and, and what I, I, I guess I should elaborate on that a little bit. I, um, what, what, in a, what I mean in by a that. discussion, that'll be the yeah. shortest podcast we've ever had, David. <laughs> yeah, no, mic drop. <laughs> Um, I, I wish that was the case, but um, good news is, you know, what what I mean by no is that it was a relatively quiet quarter, you know, really no new ASUs or accounting standard updates uh, relevant to financial institutions. Uh, certainly some things in the pipeline, you know, around, you know, um, you know, financial assets that were purchased with uh, credit deterioration, you know, that's still an ASU that's, that's out in the works with the FASB. So, Likely more to come on that, but you know, aside from that, a, a really a relatively quiet quarter. Um, that being said, you know, I will just provide a plug for some ASUs that still are in the pipeline, so to speak. You know, that have been issued um, that your institution will will want to start considering um, adoption strategy. Um, you know, reference rate reform. That's been a long-standing ASU that's been out there. Uh, as well as derivatives and hedging, you know, creating that portfolio layer method um, that's still out there for adoption. And and what I mean by out there for adoption is that, you know, this is effective for fiscal years beginning after December 15th, 2023. Um, so, you know, it's been it's been finalized, but it hasn't been fully adopted yet by institutions. But aside from that, you know, Pretty quiet. You know, I say pretty quiet. Of course, CECL adoption is still well underway, I would say, you know, still kind of um, wrapping our our heads around what that calculation looks like from a monthly, quarterly basis. Um, So I I think the reprieve on ASUs is, is certainly welcomed for that reason. Absolutely. And, you know, we, not to turn this into a Cecil discussion, we can tune into Cecil Radio for that, but um, <laughs> sure. but definitely a, a lot of interest in what's going to happen as we get into year end and really getting some uh, more insights into, into what's been happening in that space and comparatively too, right? So uh, mm-hmm. finding new ways to uh, compare and contrast what's happening in the banking environment. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring up is uh, maybe an update on what's happening with the uh, CF. FPB 1071 rule. That was something we talked about, I think, last quarter, uh, David. And since then, um, there's been a a case that has gone through uh, the courts. There's been a court challenge um, to this. And it was really uh, a collaborative effort uh, among um, several 
association groups uh, and really sort of uh, uh, bubbled up through Texas um, where the courts um, provided basically a stay, right, on on this mm-hmm. implementing this 1071, CFPB 1071, but they had a caveat to it, and that was that it would be limited to the association members of those associations that collaborated on, um, on the court case, and that's not ultimately what would be uh, you know, desired in the banking community. And it would have this really odd structure where it only applied to some and not others. And it just could introduce a lot more risk and confusion than necessary. So um, this is actually now bubbled up to the Supreme Court. And uh, starting this, um, starting in early October, um, they were set to hear arguments or beginning to hear arguments on the CFPB constitutionality in general. So um, I would say, you know, keep on your track of planning, but stay tuned. Um, There may be some changes or disruptions to uh, the path of the 1071 rule. Sure. No, thank, thanks for that update, Susan. And, you know, it's certainly something we're going to continue to track and we'll continue to report out um, through the In the Know podcast series and maybe even other mediums. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I guess the takeaway there is more to come. More, more to, to come. come. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, a, another topic. So so as I said at, at the top of this session, we're, we're kind of going to go all over the place today and just cover a bunch of different topics real briefly. So so one that I wanted to cover was uh, AI and banking, so artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Definitely a buzz term right now. It seems like everywhere I look, you know, there's something on AI, not even just in the banking industry. You know, I, I think um, I, I would suspect a lot of banks customers are also seeing AI, um, you know, throughout their, their communications as well. So it's really just ubiquitous right now. It's everywhere. Um, But specific to banking, you know, I I think there's a lot of interesting use cases that have started to pop up. And, you know, I I think we're still in the preliminary stages as to what that may look like. Um, But, you know, you think about like generative AI, for instance, chat GPT comes to mind, but there's certainly other players. Um, What could that look like from a customer experience perspective? You know, could that could that help uh, enhance the digital banking, you know, services that you're offering to customers? Maybe, um, you know, make your ability to respond to customers quicker in a more personalized fashion. I I don't know the answers to these questions, but I think these are things that that institutions are starting to think about um, from an external facing perspective. And then, you know, internally, I'll mention um, how do you plan to confront AI use internally, you know, and, and have you started to develop policies and procedures around this use? You know, I've definitely heard some, some, I guess you could say commotion there as well as to what, what that may look like, you know, what's acceptable and, and what's not acceptable um, in the workplace environment. So, you know, a, a lot, a lot going on here. It, it's a super exciting topic. You know, I think there's a lot um, that could come out of it. And, you know, I, I think right now we're in a phase where we just need to make sure that we're kind of sifting through the noise and, and making sure that we're, um, you know, making the best decisions for our institution. Um, you know, I, I think I saw a quote recently from from Jamie Dimon, CEO of JP Morgan Chase, that, you know, AI could possibly 
um, allow for a three and a half day work week. Now that that would be uh, that'd be great, but you know we'll uh, we'll we'll see. You know, I I guess I, I'm just trying to make the point, just kind of go through it with a level head. Sure, and you know I think anytime you have innovations that could lead to um, you know future future changes or balances in our lives that are are welcomed there's always that sort of i have to put that risk manager hat on yes. um and yep. you know start thinking about what could go wrong <laughs> in that process exactly. and i think many institutions you know whether you love the concept of ai or you're skeptically optimistic about the concept of ai or you just think i hope i retire before that's anything i have to worry about um you know i do think that uh, what's good about the banking environment is that we have a discipline around uh, risk management, right? And so mm -hmm. thinking about um, many how many of these models are being built, what's feeding them, what are the limitations of what's feeding them, you know, it, all of that uh, discipline is is ongoing and evolving and growing. And so I think, you know, being really skeptical, you know, to the sense not of blocking the technology, but being being appropriately skeptical to make sure that you understand the applications to your to your business and that you can welcome those great innovations and changes, but also have some balance to that process. Yeah, yeah, great point. And um, what one last thing I'll mention on the AI front for for now is, um, you know, there, there's a lot of uncertainty around AI, and and I think it, in some instances, has created a lot of anxiety too, mm -hmm. uh, possibly for employees, maybe even customers. But you know, I've certainly seen the dialogue that AI is going to eliminate jobs, for instance, and you know, what whatever whatever story is out there, you know. It, it could create anxiety for individuals. And is that something that maybe needs to be confronted as as well? You know, that that's a obviously a decision for each institution to make um, and management teams to make. But, you know, does some some sort of messaging need to go out um, just to confront, you know, kind of the, the current trends in the space? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I guess jumping gears, another sort of uh, um, I, I don't know what to call this. It's not really an innovation, but sort of an emerging, uh, some emerging uh, information that we continue to track and monitor is what's happening in uh, the environmental, social, and governance space. So ESG. Oh, yes. Um, and one of the things I wanted to mention is we are we have been seeing and continue to see um, states and local governments maybe take maybe more on the state side than local, but um, state governments taking a position on certain um, certain especially environmental related uh, legislation. And uh, California just recently um, joined in that in that as well. And the governor was expected to sign a requirement that would apply to businesses doing business in California, whether they're headquartered there or not, of a certain amount of business or size and to be compliant with certain environmental targets. Um, the only reason I bring this up here is because uh, that is something to be monitored and considered uh, state by state as as more doing this. This has nothing to do with the SEC requirements that we're still expecting to be finalized this year. We know ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, did this internationally um, earlier this year on the environmental side for disclosures for large companies. We're still waiting for the SEC here domestically to, to, you know, come out and say what they were going to say about it. Um, but 
but a lot of uh, states are kind of taking it upon themselves to also institute this. We know closer to home, Boston, I think we may have mentioned this before, um, you know, they have implemented a carbon neutral or carbon zero by 2050 uh, requirement for buildings and, and things within Boston area. So anybody doing uh, commercial credit uh, underwriting, uh, you know, Cree underwriting there, uh, you know, 2050, it's 27 years from now. So it feels <laughs> like, why would I care about this now? But, you know, considering the average life of loans in the portfolio, maybe it's not this underwriting cycle, but it's the next one. At some point, sure. investments are going to have to be made in a way that they haven't been made before, perhaps. And, you know, that is something to continue to monitor and think about. I think really just more, um, we do tend to want to wait and address these right in the very moment that they are uh, in front of us as humans, I think. But, you know, I think, you know, we have an opportunity as a banking community to really start thinking, you know, making sure that we're continuing to monitor and track those in our geographies and 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 keeping an eye on what that's going to mean for us and our lending and make sure we stay abreast and in, in, in keeping with, with that in real time. Yeah, yeah, great point. And, and when we talk about um, environment, you know, I, I know two types of risks tend to come up, transition risk versus physical risk. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great example of one of those transition risks, you know, a regulation that's in, in the pipeline um, that borrowers are going to need to consider to to be compliant with the regulation. And there, there could be some pretty substantial upfront capital costs mm -hmm. to become compliant, depending on the facts and circumstances, which you know, given the the crunch on office space, you know, could be a, a could be a double edged sword, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, un unfortunately, but you know, I I think more to come on this too. You know, I, with with a lot of these topics, they're kind of in their infancy in in a way. But um, you know, that's that that's what we're here for. You know, getting these things in in front of everyone and just you know making sure you're you're thinking about them. Absolutely. Um, well. Thank you so much, Susan. I think I think that's all we, we have on the docket for today. Um, and, and thank you so much to our listeners. You know, it's been great providing this information to you all. And as always, if there's any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to Susan, myself. We also have the Ask the Advisor feature on the website that can be utilized and, and a bunch of great resources on the website um, as, as well. So, you know, certainly check it out. And uh, we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you very much.